During my first uh, few years as a minister, a great deal of my focus was in youth ministry, and I loved what I did. I had a great passion for it, and something that I always tried to stress uh, to the young people that I was working with was that it didn't matter what your age was, you could still accomplish something for the cause of Christ. It didn't matter where they were in their walk with Christ. It didn't matter how long they had been a Christian. It didn't matter all of these extracurricular circumstances that so many people are allowed to define who they are. I constantly reminded our young people that there was something that they could accomplish for Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And as I, as I continued to, to preach that same message time and time and time again, it was, it was really a thought that kind of just came over me that that's a message not necessarily just for young people, though, is it? That's a message not just for a youth group or not just for young people of the Lord's church, but truly that is something that can be and should be said of every single person as it concerns them and their usefulness for the Lord and His kingdom. That it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter your life experience. It doesn't matter your social status or any of these things that so many times, like I said a moment ago, we allow to define us and to box us in into what we can and cannot do. And so many times we do it to our own detriment. When we think about an individual who is able to influence one, not just one person, someone who is able to influence not just a few people, but an entire nation, I can't help but think about Josiah and to influence them for good, not for bad. When I read through the account of Josiah, I can't help but be amazed at his confidence, at Josiah's boldness, at his willingness to do that which was right, but not only for himself, but to try to influence an entire nation around him to do what they were supposed to do, no matter what it was going to cost him. Several lessons I want to draw as we look at the life of Josiah this evening, several points of application. But before we do that, I want to set the scene as to what is going on here. When you get to 2 Kings chapter 22, we're reading about the nation of Judah. And Judah at this point in time was in awful shape. Judah was in terrible, terrible shape. They were, they were horribly sinful. They were wicked. They were evil. They were wayward when it came to their relationship with Almighty God. In fact, if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 21, we read about Josiah's grandfather, who was named Manasseh. And you remember there in verse 6, the Bible tells us that he made his sons pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums, and he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Josiah's grandfather was so evil he was so wicked that he was literally sending his own sons to walk through the fire as a sacrifice to his false gods. But once Manasseh died, his son Ammon took over. It reigned only two short years, but within those two short years, he didn't do much better. In fact, he is considered to be wicked and evil in the sight of God as well. And we're going to talk more about Josiah's family as a whole here in just a moment. But you get the picture. Josiah, as he steps into the throne, as he steps into this arena of being king over Judah, Josiah has inherited a kingdom, a nation that has been completely given over, completely and wholly given over to wickedness. A nation that has completely lost its love for God. A nation that has completely lost its willingness to live for God and to do what God have them to do. And yet Josiah does something completely different. Josiah does what we might say flips the script. He completely does a 180 turn with this particular nation, and he tries his best to send them back on the right track. 
He knows Judah's not in a good place with God. He knows that they're going to meet their certain destruction if they don't turn their lives around, if something doesn't change, and so he goes against the current. He completely changes the course of Judah. Six things I want to draw from this particular account from, the, from looking at the life of Josiah. Here's number one. Again, this is the reason why I started out saying what I did. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can use yourself to be an influence for good. When, when you're eight years old, go back in your mind when you were eight years old, what'd you think about? I don't know. I don't remember when I was eight years old. I don't, if, you, if you're eight years old, maybe you think about food. I, I know I'd thought about food when I was eight years old. Always wondering where my next meal was or what it was going to be, if it was going to be something that I enjoyed. I know as an eight-year-old, I love sports. I enjoyed playing sports. I always thought about, you know, when my next basketball game was going to be or when my next practice was going to be. Uh, school, probably not. I don't know any eight-year-old that thinks about school. I don't know any high schooler that thinks about school and how much fun it's going to be the, for the next time to get to go, go to school. But, but when, you, when you think about, what about becoming a king? When you, when you look at an eight-year-old, does, does an eight-year-old consider, even fathom, the idea of becoming king over an entire nation? Probably not. In 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 1, we're told that Josiah was only eight years old, eight years old when he became king over Judah. I don't even, I don't even remember if I knew my right hand from my left hand. When I was eight years old, much less would I have been able to inherit and then, and then correctly rule over an entire nation, an entire kingdom of people. Now, certainly he would have had many help. He would have had many advisors who would have done much good for him. But to have simply the responsibility placed on him at such a young age truly is remarkable. Here's what amazing. As he grew into his teenage years, as he, as he grew older, Josiah was someone who remained faithful to God as a king. You see, most 16-year-olds nowadays probably would have allowed that kind of power to go to their head. They probably would have allowed themselves to become arrogant, to become prideful, to do things with this power that they shouldn't have ever done, but not Josiah. Josiah remembered God, and he did all that he could to please him. In fact, if you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we have a parallel account of Josiah's life and reign. And in verse 3, the Bible says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, talking about Josiah, he began to seek the God of his father David, and in the twelfth year began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. Josiah, some 16 years of age, what is he doing? He's seeking after God. He's doing all that he can to restore Judah and to put them back into a state where they needed to go. He was seeking after God and helping shape Judah into being the righteous and godly nation that Judah was supposed to be. He was doing all that he could to turn them back to God. If you remember one thing from this evening, I hope that it is this. I don't care what age you are, you as an individual can do something for Almighty God. You as an individual can do something, can accomplish something for the eternal purpose of Jesus Christ. You can be effective. You can be influential. You can be evangelistic. You can be encouraging. You can simply be the Christian that you're supposed to be, old, young, or in between. Certainly you are valuable. Certainly you have purpose. Certainly you have worth as an individual, and you have a place in the kingdom of Almighty God. Josiah was placed in a very tough position from a very, very young age, and yet he defied the odds. Josiah flipped the script, and he lived for Almighty God, and it was because of that decision he helped Judah, an entire nation, do the exact same thing. How did all of this play out? Notice in the second place, 
You and I have to be willing to stand out from the crowd. When we look at Josiah's life, I can't help but think about someone who certainly did just this. Someone who stood out from the crowd despite even having to stand out from his family. You talk about having to stand out from the world, that's one thing, isn't it? But when you have to go and be different from your entire family, that's a whole other case. That's a whole other scenario. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. I think this might be one of the hardest concepts for us as Christians. Uh, and again, regardless of our age, regardless of where we are in life, and I think Joey touched on this maybe just a little bit this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you and I are commanded not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, John commands us not to love the world or the things that are in the world. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter commands us to, to remind us that we have been called out, out of darkness, out of the world, into the light of Almighty God and His precious church. We get it, but it's hard, isn't it? It's not easy because there is so much pressure from our society, from our culture, from our world in which we live to just simply fit in and be just like the world around us. That it doesn't matter if you're married or not. You can have sexual relationships with whoever it is that you want. You can drink, you can do drugs, you can go party and have fun and not worry about any of the consequences and not worry about what anybody might say because you simply just live your life however you want to live it. You want to change your biological and God-given gender, go for it. Who are we to tell you any differently? In fact, we should set you up on a pedestal, shouldn't we? We should worship you for your courage, for your boldness to stand out and to make such claims to go against what has been set in tradition for so long. You want to be in a relationship with someone who is the same gender as you? It's perfectly fine. Go do it. That's what our world says. Our world tells us that we're just to be accepting. Our world tells us that we are just simply to be tolerant and to be embracing. You see, it's for you and I as Christians to think any differently than our world. We immediately become ostracized, don't we? We immediately become different and pushed back and pushed away simply because we believe something different, not even to mention speaking out against our world and what our world believes and says. How dare you and I even consider saying that someone could be wrong? or telling someone that what they believe is not what is right. We talked last Wednesday night about truth. We talked about how so many people want to see truth as subjective, in that they want truth to be what they want it to be, and they think that they can have their own version of truth, and it doesn't matter what you say, your truth is your version of it, and we should all just simply get along and live our lives happily ever after, because... When I think about truth in that way, it allows me to live my life however I want with no consequences and no regard for anything else that might come into play. How low have we stooped in our society? How low have we gotten in our culture to simply believe that truth can be whatever it is that we want truth to be? I don't know how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was back in Genesis chapter 19. I don't know how bad they truly had to have been in order to rain fire down upon themselves from the hand of Almighty God. And I know God doesn't deal with nations like that anymore, but sometimes I can't help but wonder how close are we to living like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's hard as being a Christian because standing out and being different is hard and it is difficult. And yet when I look at the life of Josiah, that is exactly what he did. And that even included him being different and standing out from his own family. You see, Josiah had a crazy, crazy family, didn't he? 
We mentioned a moment ago about his, his grandfather Manasseh, how evil, how wicked he was. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, beginning of verse 2, the Bible says about him, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He jumped to verse 6. Also he caused his sons to pass through the valley, through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, witchcraft, sorcery, consulted medium spiritists, did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 9. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh was a bad, bad individual. Not only did he sacrifice his own children in worship, he went around rebuilding, resurrecting all of these altars, all of these images, just so that he could worship in a way that he deemed fit for him to worship. But then we read about Josiah's father, Ammon. In 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 19, the Bible says that Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Meshulameth, the daughter of Haraz of Jotbah. In verse 20, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the ways of the Lord. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. Josiah not only had a wicked, had an evil grandfather, but a wicked and an evil father. His entire family was wicked. His entire family were living lives that none of them should have ever been living. And when we look at someone like that growing up in a scenario like that, I think so many times we think it to be just second nature. It would be natural for Josiah to follow in those footsteps and to be who he should never have been. But he didn't. Josiah flipped the script. You read in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 25. Now before him, talking about Josiah, there was no king like him but not in the bad sense, not in the evil sense, continue reading, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Josiah had a dysfunctional family. He had a wicked and an evil family, a family that did not live the way that God wanted them to live, and yet Josiah chose not to live like any of them. Josiah made the choice to stand out and to live a life faithful to God and his commandments for him, despite what everybody else was doing around him. Josiah was carrying out Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, when God commanded his people to fear him, to keep his statutes and his judgments, and to love him with all of their heart, soul, and strength. Sometimes being a Christian can make you feel alone, can't it? Sometimes doing what you're supposed to be doing can make you feel like you're the only one who is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sometimes doing the right thing and living the right kind of life can make you feel like you're living on an island. Maybe in the workplace. Maybe you're the only Christian at your workplace. Maybe you're the only Christian in your job. Maybe for our young people, maybe you're the only person in your school that's a Christian. But you think about it, if you live for God, if you're faithful to God, are you truly ever really alone? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, 
For I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, and I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous hand. Brothers and sisters, we can take great, great hope that even in the darkest of days, even in the most difficult of circumstances, perhaps much like what Josiah was facing, God certainly is there for us if we live faithful lives. Here's number three. You and I have to be willing to respect the word of Almighty God. When you get to verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 22, we read about an individual by the name of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the priest. And it talks about him finding a copy of the book of the law. And we're going to talk more about him finding this book at the end of this lesson uh, this evening. But I want to notice something. Notice in verse 11, what does the Bible say? Now what happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, talking about Josiah, what did he do? He tore his clothes. How did Josiah react? How does Josiah react when he hears about the word of Almighty God? He tears his clothes. He understood after hearing a reading of the law that the people still had a long, long way to go. He understood that they still had many things to fix in their lives, but that they were on the right track. That They were going to start doing what they needed to do in order to be faithful to Almighty God. You see, whenever someone comes into contact with the Bible, when someone comes into contact with a copy of the Scriptures, they are going to have one of two reactions, aren't they? They're either going to rejoice with it, or they're going to reject it. There's no other option out there. You're either going to receive it and to accept it, or you're going to push it away because you don't want to have anything to do with it. You certainly cannot remain indifferent. It's going to cause a reaction from you, but it's just simply up to us or the individual if they're going to have an Acts 2 response or an Acts 7 response. But I want you to notice what Josiah does whenever it was that he heard the word of the law. 2 Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 19. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself again before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. When you and I think about the idea of repentance, when we think about the idea of turning our lives around and giving them back over to Almighty God, understanding that it is more than just saying, I'm sorry for what I've done, but rather it is a change of heart, it's a change of action, or rather a change of mind that leads us to a change of action. That's exactly what Josiah was doing. That is exactly what Josiah was pushing this nation of Judah to do that they had to change the way that they were living their lives. We have to understand that in order to have an attitude of repentance, it also requires an attitude of humility. It requires you and I being willing to swallow our own pride, to admit that we were wrong, to see the mistakes and the flaws and the sin in our lives and be willing to change those things so that we can go on and be who we're supposed to be for Almighty God. To see that we don't know everything, that there are times that we can be wrong, and that God is the only one who can remedy that. Here's number four. Remove evil from your side. I want you to read a couple of passages with me this evening. Go back to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter 23. And I want to read several passages as we, talk, as we talk, talk about this idea of removing evil from our side. 2 Kings 23. Notice with me here, beginning in verse 4. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out the temple of the Lord. All the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Verse 5, Then he removed the idolatrous priests 
whom the kings of Judah had, or, had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron, and ground it to the ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the, woman, uh, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left, which were to the left of the city gate. Drop down to verse 11. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Notice verse 14. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images, and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. And Josiah turned and saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Drop down to verse 19. Now Josiah also took away all of the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. And then finally drop down to verse 24. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Josiah, what in the world are you doing? Josiah, what are you doing? Why are you making all of these, all of, why are you doing all of these things to all of these, these, these worshipers and these idols and all of these, these altars? What is the point of what you're doing? Josiah says, look, I'm tearing down anything that resembled any kind of idolatrous worship. If it looked if it smelled, if it reminded, if it called back, it was, it was similar to any kind of idol or false god. It was gone. Josiah says, I'm literally getting rid of every evil and wicked and horrible thing in the land. He says, I'm taking these altars, I'm burning them, and I'm grinding them down to absolutely nothing. When, when Kayla and I lived in Tennessee, there was, a, there was a tree right in the middle of our backyard, and it, it was dead. It was hanging over the house. If it was some bad winds or storms, it probably would have broke the tree, and the tree probably would have fallen on our house. So we called a company to come out there, and they took the tree down, and we asked them to grind down the stump. And so they brought this machine out, and they literally grinded it down to absolutely nothing. When you looked out, when you walked out on the ground, you couldn't even tell that there was a tree that had been there. That is exactly what Josiah is doing with all of these idols and all of these gods. He is grinding them down to where they resemble absolutely nothing, and they're completely gone from your sight. 
Josiah had to pull down all of the wickedness before he could build them back up to be where they needed to be. You see, when it came to Josiah and their relationship with Almighty God, there was no sharing real estate, was there? When it came to the idols of Baal and when it came to worshiping God, there was, there was no keeping both up and allowing Judah uh, to worship both. There was no divided allegiance. There was no uh, shared opportunity to worship and to give glory and praise to both of these entities because there was only place for one, that being the one and true God. Josiah knew who the real God was and he knew who deserved to be worshiped. But in order for them to get to that point, he had to rid, he had to literally purge Judah of every wicked and evil thing that was in its land. Number five, sometimes you have to be willing to get your hands messy. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. I want to read one more passage here. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Notice it's going to be beginning in verse number one. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, beginning of verse number 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces, and made dust of them, and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. Verse 7, when he had broken down the altars of the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all of the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Ten different times does the word he appear as you read about Josiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You see, Josiah understood that in order to help Judah get back into the state that they needed to go, to help turn Judah around and to get them back on the right track in terms of their relationship with Almighty God, he himself was going to have to be involved with this entire process. At some 16 years of age or so, he was right in the thick of it. He was right in the middle of all of this, doing all that he could to help turn an entire nation back to Almighty God as an individual as a Christian who is not involved, regardless of age, regardless of experience, regardless of whatever it is that you might see as an excuse, brother or sister, what is your excuse? What's your excuse for not being involved, for not being active in the work of the Lord? Truthfully, no one has an excuse, do they? No one has an excuse as to why they can't be involved in some form or some fashion Brothers and sisters, we have to be willing to get involved. We have to be willing to get right in the middle of the work because that is the only way that the Lord's church will become strengthened, will be edified, and will grow stronger than what it already is. You and I have to be willing to do our part. Here's number six. You and I have to be willing to leave behind a legacy. 
we have to be willing to leave behind a, a legacy. Out, out of the, the 20 or 21 kings or so that ruled over Judah, there were only five of them that were considered to be righteous. They weren't known for being a righteous nation. They weren't known for being a godly nation. They weren't known for doing that which was right before God. And yet out of every single one of these, I would dare say that maybe we remember Josiah the most out of all of them. We remember Josiah's godly rule. We remember his reign. We remember him willing to do whatever it took to turn his nation around and to get them back on track towards Almighty God. 2 Kings chapter 23, beginning of verse 25. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Josiah left behind him a legacy for all to remember him by. Certainly that's not why he did it. Josiah lived a righteous life so that he could please his creator, so that he could help the people who were around him, but he left behind a legacy, a memory of him breaking down idolatrous worship and restoring godly worship towards Judah. In 200 years, if the earth is still standing, what are people going to remember about you? Truth be told, probably won't remember you, will they? Probably not going to remember me. But if we had the option of allowing people to remember one thing about each of us, what would it be? If they were to remember you and anything about your life, anything that you did while you were here on this earth, what would it be? Brothers and sisters, I hope that for every single one of us that it will be said that you and I did everything that we could to turn people back to the Lord. That's the most important thing as a Christian that you could ever be about. Parents, let me say something to you as we close. You and I understand the great responsibility that we have laid upon us by Almighty God to, to, to rear, to nurture our children. And what a great and awesome responsibility that is. How beautiful that is to be able to do that, but certainly what a burden it is that we have to bear. I want you to notice 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Go back to verse 15. I want to briefly look at something as we close. 2 Chronicles 34, beginning in verse 15. And then Hilkiah answered, this is the priest, answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. What does it mean when he said he had to find the book of the Lord? If something had to be found, it means it was first what? Lost that it hadn't been read, that it hadn't been put into the hands of the people for some 57 years. Two generations had passed, and there had been no reading, no minding, no studying, no consideration of the law whatsoever. Somewhere along the line, Hezekiah was righteous, but then you had Manasseh, then you had Ammon, completely disregarding, completely ignoring the law. How did they get to this point? to where they literally had to go find the law in order for it to be read. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 as we close. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know this passage so very well. We've talked about it numerous times, but I think it's important to bring to our attention as we close this message this evening. Moses in Deuteronomy 6 has just been relaying the many commands of Almighty God to his people. And he gets to this chapter and notice what he says they are to do with them. This is after he has told them to keep his statutes, keep his commandments, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And notice in verse 6, he says this, And these words which I command you today, this is talking to parents, parents who have children. 
He says, command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Parents, do not ever forget the importance of teaching your children about the words of the law. Do not ever forget, do not ever forsake the responsibility that you have given to you by God to train your children and to teach them about Almighty God and what He has done for His people. Because if you forsake, if you don't do that, if you don't teach your children, they very well may be the start of the next generation that completely forgets about Almighty God. I know that none of us would ever want that to be said of us, how we parented. None of us would ever want that to be said of us and how, how, how we helped rear our children. Nobody would ever want it to be said of our own children that they were the ones who started a generation that knew not Almighty God. But brothers and sisters, that will happen if you and I don't take seriously the responsibility of training up our children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I hope that when we look at lives like Josiah, we understand that it doesn't matter where we are in life. It doesn't matter how much experience we might have or what age we might be. There is something that we can accomplish for the cause of Almighty God. Maybe you're here this evening and maybe you want to take that first step by, by, by accepting the Lord's invitation and by coming forward, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ's precious name and being baptized into water. Jesus shed blood, a representation there, washing those sins away. Maybe that's the case for you this evening. You want to do that? Certainly we can help you. Maybe you're here as a Christian, though, and maybe uh, your life's not what it should be. Maybe you've been living your life like the nation of Judah, where you haven't been, been obeying God or listening to God, and maybe you've been reading the word of the law. Maybe you have been studying with someone, or you've just come to realization and understanding that your life's not what it should be. Know that you can repent of those things. Certainly, it's not the end if you do something evil and terrible, but you can come back from it. You can ask for repentance from your brothers and sisters, from your family here. You can ask for repentance from Almighty God, and we'll do all that we can to help you and to encourage you. If you have a need this evening, won't you come? Together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262. Or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.